1 Corinthians chapter 13, we'll hit some other passages from the letter to the church at Corinth. And as you're turning there, um, last Sunday I told you about an opportunity that we've been working on for over a year called A Fuller Story uh, as pertains to the Civil War and Civil War monuments in the city of Franklin where I live and where Strong Tower spent the first 17 years of our existence. And I told you about an, an initiative and we presented um, our vision to the board of mayor and aldermen and I told you it went over very well. Well, we met with the city planner on Friday. When I say we, I'm speaking of Pastor Hewitt Sawyers, Pastor uh, Kevin Riggs, and historian Eric Jacobson. We met with the uh, city planner and the mayor on Friday. And they were so encouraged by what they heard just a little over a week ago that they put together a resolution uh, supporting the initiative and it's going to be presented on Tuesday and voted on so that these markers can be put up. Again, I don't have time to go into the full vision, but I want to let you know that uh, this Tuesday at 7, it's going to be voted on, and we have every reason to believe it's going to be a unanimous vote, and uh, we'll be able to put the markers up. Four markers speaking of a fuller story of the Civil War, not just the one side that we've been taught uh, for 150 years, but uh, a fuller story, um, giving attention particularly to the African-American struggle in the midst of the Civil War plight. Um, the four markers cost $2,000 each, and donors have already stepped up without word even getting out much, and the $8,000 for the markers have already been given. So uh, God is already, I mean, it's just... So there's a lot happening. I'll keep you in store, abreast as things develop. And as Ebony mentioned in the, on the announcements, next week is our 23rd church anniversary, 23 years of God's goodness and faithfulness, allowing us to be uh, one of his churches in the kingdom of God. And so I've invited a friend of mine to come all the way from Seattle, Washington, to preach for us next week, a dear friend that I've known for over 30 years, Dr. Andre Sims, and he pastors Christ the King Bible Fellowship in federal way. So he's going to be our guest speaker next week. So again, come on out, dress comfortably. Let's have a good time. And then after um, that Sunday, the following Sunday, I will begin the Heaven series. I was trying to begin it this month in August, but uh, we've just been chasing this uh, theme of childlike or childish. But I need to let you know that when we get into this Heaven series, it's going to bless you. You're going to learn some things you've never known about heaven. It's going to change your perspective. Um, it's going to bless you. I mean, that, that's all I can say right now without even going into it. But my heart is full with the things I'm learning as I study God's word and as I read about heaven. And I was able to say to Karen uh, Braxton, whose mom, uh, Kawanda, went home to be with Jesus uh, just a few weeks ago, that she's going to be blessed and uplifted through this service, through, the, through this series, to know what her mother is doing right now based on scripture so that you won't think that heaven is boring and hell has it going on. Hell doesn't have it going on. Heaven is exciting. So we're going to have a wonderful time. It is going to be a great adventure in the words of Stephen Curtis Chapman. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away 
childish things. So today, let's talk on the final message, childlike or childish, part three. Let's ask Jesus for some help. God, thank you for this worship experience today. Thank you that we had an opportunity to encounter your presence through worship. Thank you that we could spend time with one another, catching up, hugging, loving, and blessing one another. Thank you that our children and our teens are being taught your word on their level. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to give uh, for benevolence and even to give into the general offering. Thank you for the opportunity just to be here. And now, Lord, we stand ready to hear a word from you. Lord, you know in my heart, um, I want to help people with your word uh, because you're helping me. So, Lord, I pray that I can relay to your people the things that you are showing me uh, in my own personal life. I pray, Lord, as usual, that we'll all have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to this church and each individual, Lord. So soften our hearts, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for the work you're about to do. In your name we pray. Amen. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he made several post-resurrection appearances. And his third appearance is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 21. And this was the episode when Peter, who was discouraged for having denied the Lord those three times, um, he's feeling pretty bad. And he says, you know what? I'm going fishing. I'm going back to doing what I used to do. I've got to find comfort out on the sea. So he goes fishing and the other guys join him. And the Bible says that they fished all night and they caught nothing. And as the morning came, they're still in the boat and a figure is out on the shore that they can't recognize. And the person on the shore yells out to them on the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. And he says, children, do you have any bread or have any food? Have you caught any fish? To which they responded, no. And then this person said, put your net on the right side of the boat. And as you know the story, they caught a multitude of fish. And that's when they realized that it was Jesus. And Peter, in his spontaneous way, put his outer garment on and then jumped into the water and swam while the other brothers said, we, we love Jesus, but we're going to get these fish too. And they put the fish in the boat and they came and Jesus had already prepared, prepared breakfast for them on the beach. But I love how Jesus called them children, grown men, but he called them children. And in that day and time, it was not uncommon for a spiritual leader or a teacher or a rabbi to refer to his disciples as children. It was a term of endearment. It was a term of affection, a term of love. It was a way to express covering and encouragement. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul referred to this group of believers as his children because he was instrumental in seeing them come to faith in Christ. He planted this church so in many respects, he was the spiritual father of the church in Corinth. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, this won't be on the screen, but I'll read it to you. It says, Paul wrote, I do not write these things in this letter to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. 
For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Because he knows this letter is a tough letter. It's a letter of correction. It's a letter of rebuke because there was a whole lot of nonsense going on at that church. And so when Paul heard about it, like a good father, he had to address it. Because if you don't address things, you can't expect for things to change. You can only expect what you inspect, one old preacher told me. And as a father, you just don't let your children run around doing whatever they want to do. You show love to them by speaking truth to them. And so Paul says, I need to warn this church. I need to warn this congregation because that's what fathers do, not only in the natural realm, but also in the spiritual realm. Part of our job is to warn you. And some of it is I'm warning you not to make the mistakes that I made. So any of us who have children, part of parenting is telling your mistakes telling how you messed up, how you had to learn the hard way, and how you got a degree from the school of hard knocks. And you're trying to warn your kids, but most kids don't want to listen. And some kids have to learn the hard way. And so Paul is trying to warn this church, you don't want to learn the hard way. I pray that you will listen to the things that I'm trying to tell you, because this church was an immature church. They had a whole lot of money, but they were immature. They had all of the spiritual gifts, but they were spiritually immature. And rather than being childlike, they were childish. And so I don't even have time to talk about all of the things they got into. I mean, I could tell you about their communion service. Because back in the day, they didn't use the little drink in the wafer like we do. They would have wine and bread, and they would have a plethora of food on the table. And so people knew what was going on, and so they were coming to those feasts to eat. They weren't really coming to remember Jesus. They were like, the church is open. They got food over there. Oh, I'm coming. And what they would do is they would rush and eat the food and not even wait for the other believers to come. That's childish. So there were so many childish things going on, and I'm just going to share a couple of things with you. And uh, what applies, I pray that you receive, and, uh, and we're going to keep it moving. Uh, because last week we talked about how this church was still on milk when they should have been on meat. Last week we talked about how they were divided when they should have been united. And last week we talked about how many of them were sexually immoral when they should have been holy and godly and seeing their bodies as temples. And so I want to hit a few more from this letter of 1 Corinthians. And the first thing I want you to see this morning is that childish Christians take other Christians to court, but childlike Christians seek to settle legal discrepancies within the church. Oh my goodness, now we coming down the street in your neighborhood. Don't lock the doors on me. <laughs> but in this church, they were taking each other to court. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, dare any of you Having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? 
Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Paul is like, y'all are airing your dirty laundry before the world. And not only does it make you look bad, it makes your Savior look bad. Because there has to be enough Holy Ghost on tap in this church where y'all can work this out internally. But you've seen the news where churches have splits and they're fighting and the news team show up and they're putting the pastor out. The pastor's suing the deacons. The deacons are suing the pastor's wife. And it's an embarrassment. But then we have believers who are suing one another over failed business ventures and we're suing one another because people didn't pay what they said they would pay. And that's why a lot of Christians don't like to do business with other Christians. They'd rather do business with unsaved heathens than do business with Christians because Christians don't keep their word when it comes to money. And so they're taking other Christians to court. But Paul said, before you do that, can you bring it in the church and let somebody in the church, you, it don't even have to be an elder, somebody with some wisdom to sit and listen to this matter. I mean, if those women who were trying to cut babies in the Old Testament under Solomon had enough sense to go to Solomon about their problem, how come Christians don't go into the church to try to solve the financial problems and issues and arts that they have with one another? Why don't we quit to run to court? And so Paul is saying, when you're childish, you're going to run to the worldly court. But when you're childlike and you're trying to grow in your faith, you'll come to the leaders in the church and say, can you help me solve this problem that I'm having with this sister? Can you help me solve this problem I'm having with this brother? But that means you have to be submitted to the church that you're a part of. <laughs> that means you have to trust the leaders in the church. Oh, man, Paul is saying it's time for us to grow up. Now, if you think that's tough, here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 39 and 40. I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. So Jesus said, don't even go to court. Just, just, just give them what they want. If they're beating on you, and he's not saying in a physical way, but this is hyper, hyperbolic language that if somebody's trying to take advantage of you, let them take advantage of you. Don't go to court. Trust God who is in the heavenly court. Now, that's real deep. That's real spiritual. We need childlike faith because I ain't going to let you roll up on me like that. I'm taking your behind to court. Jesus says, man, give them what they're asking for and even give them more. Why? Because Jesus knows how to vindicate. Jesus knows how to judge the case. Jesus knows how to take care of you. <laughs> and, and when you go and stand before that judge... That judge may be having a bad day, but the judge in heaven never has a bad day. He's always righteous. Trust him. Now, there may be a cause that it does require going to secular court, but let the church advise that after we have done what we can inside. So Paul is saying, let's try the church before we go to the courts. Secondly, childish Christians don't appreciate the gift of singleness or the gift of marriage. But childlike Christians embrace the gift of singleness and the gift of marriage. 
Oh, boy. Here we go. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7. Paul says, for I wish that all men were even as I myself. And how is that? Single. So he said, I wish everybody was single. He says later in the letter, because when you're single, you can give undivided attention and time to serving the Lord. But when you're married, you've got to take care of interests at home. So he said, I wish everybody was single like me. But each one has his own gift from God. One in this manner. What manner? The manner of being single. And another in that. What's that? Being married. So being single is a gift. Being married is a gift. But a lot of single people think being single is a curse. And a lot of married people think that being married is a curse. When you're childish, you'll see those states as curses. But when you're childlike, you know that God orders your steps, whether you're single or you're married. And you learn to be content with the place that he's put you in. And so you can see that this is a gift and this is not God trying to hurt me or curse me. But no, he is a good God that we sang about earlier today. And he blesses us. There are miserable singles and miserable marrieds dying to change places. Single people say, if I was only married. Married people are like, man, if I was only single again. It's like flies on the screen door. There are flies on the outside of the screen door, dying to get in the house. Then there are flies on the inside of the screen door, dying to get out of the house. <laughs> you need to be content whether you're outside of the house or inside of the house. My goodness. Oh, boy. Are there any? Well, I better not ask for a show of hands. <laughs> but perspective is everything. If you think being single is miserable and a curse, that's how you're going to live. If you think being married is an old ball and chain, and that's how it's going to be. But it's a gift, Paul said. So change your perspective to see that being single is a gift. Being married is a gift. That's what people who are growing in the Lord see. Amen. Amen. Thirdly, childish Christians get married primarily for sexual gratification. But childlike Christians know that there is more to marriage than sex. But the children are out, right? <laughs> oh, well, Paul, what do you say? Verse 8, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. Verse 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. All right, let's see here. Yes, it's better to get married than to live in sin. But it's even better to establish boundaries in the courtship and maintain them so that your underwear don't get on fire. Because once you start burning with passion, you lose the ability to think well. Now, sex is a reason to get married. But don't make it the reason to get married. Because if your relationship is built on sex only or primarily, that relationship is being built on shaky ground. Anybody ever heard of gravity? Age. Life afflictions. And 
Yeah. You got to have more in your relationship than that. <laughs> Again, you don't want to live in sin where you're fornicating and you say, you know what? We need to get married so we can stop fornicating. Okay, okay. That, that's real, okay? But recognize there's got to be more to it than that because, hmm. Y'all feeling me on this? Because when you're growing in your faith, you're doing your best, again, to set up boundaries that you don't awaken your love until it's time. That's what Solomon said. Don't wake that stuff up until it's time. What's the time when you get married? So I know a lot of us, we, we want to do the right thing, but we didn't do the right thing, and we thought doing the right thing was getting married. Okay, but make sure, though, there's more to the relationship than just sex. Mm, mm, mm. Number four, childish Christian husbands seek to divorce their wives for unbiblical reasons. But childlike Christian husbands don't consider divorce to be an option for them. All right, before I say this, let me give a disclaimer. I cannot cover everything the Bible says about divorce. So if you're out there trying to nitpick what I'm about to say and all of that, you, you, you may can find a problem in what I'm about to say, okay? But I'm trying to stick in the context of what Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians to that church there. So stick with me in verse 10. He says, now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. Depart, speaking of divorce, a wife is not to divorce her husband. Why? Because God intends, expects every marriage to remain until death does the couple part. So a wife is not to look at divorce as an escape hatch because every marriage goes through turbulence. Every time I flower, almost every time, there's some level of turbulence. We're going to hit a pocket here. It's going to shake over there. But I'm not running for the exit. Because I know the thing is going to land at some point. And some folk want to go for the exit to get out of marriage as soon as there's an issue. And the Bible says, Paul says, a wife is not to depart from her husband. Verse 11. But even if she does depart. Oh boy, wait a minute. Here's the ideal. But sometimes an ordeal can come into a marriage where maybe a woman is being physically abused and who knows and there's a gamut of things that we deal with which is why you can't just have one size fits all as a pastor as an elder when you're listening to people you, you, you have to take each case separately but but God does seem to give women an out in certain cases in marriage but still we have the ideal but there can be an ordeal where even if she does depart Paul goes on to say, it's not that she can just go out and get married again. Paul says, okay, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband because we're believing he's reconciled himself to God. And, and, and so that part right there, people don't like to read this kind of stuff in the Bible. When, it's time, when stuff go wrong, they throw the Bible out and they do what they want to do. But this is God's covenant, not man's. So since it's God's, I need to know what his word says and not what I feel or what the world is doing. 
We get married in the church. We have a Christian minister. We have scriptures read. We have prayers. We have communion. We have worship. We at an altar. But as soon as we got a problem, we leave the church. We leave the Christian minister. We leave the prayers. We leave the Bible. We leave communion. We leave community. God's like, now hold on, now hold on, hold on. The God who called you is the God who will keep you if you'll let him. Oh, boy. Don't, oh, boy. It's quiet. Let me move. But even if she does depart, let her remain in marriage. In other words, yeah, honey, leave to protect yourself. So God set up a parameter to protect women in a destructive marriage. But even still, that's not the goal to get out. But if she has to get out, Paul says, remain single. Oh, boy. That's, that, that's for back then. No, it's for today. But here's the part here. Here's the part. Here's the next one now. He goes on to say, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. He don't have no exception clause. Ay, 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 ay. She has one because she's the quote-unquote weaker vessel. And by the way, Pastor Jerry, my wife whispered in my ear when you talked about how Eve didn't follow that instruction, neither did Adam. But, uh, you know, we're going to keep it equal up in here. You know. Adam messed up too. Brother had one job, one job. <laughs> so the sister has a way out under, you know, extenuating circumstances, but not the dude. Why? Because the dude is to represent Christ, who's to love his bride the way Christ loves the church. And God's love is unconditional. He won't leave us. So he's not to be talking about divorce. Uh, so here we go. Let's keep it real practical here. Christian men who are growing spiritually... Do not initiate divorce discussions or proceedings with their wives. You don't bring that conversation up, Christian men, who are growing and being childlike in their faith. But when you're childish, you not only bring it up, you keep that D word in the discussion all the time. You got that card in your deck, and you bring that up whenever something goes wrong. You know, I'll divorce you. That shouldn't even be in your vocabulary. Mm -mm -mm. And even if you have biblical grounds based on things Jesus taught about adultery and even what Paul will say later, if this woman is an unbeliever and she wants to leave and Paul says, let her leave. So there are exceptions to the permanency of marriage where God will allow divorce, but let the church weigh in on it. You know, if someone dies here today, God forbid, they're not officially dead until someone who has official authority pronounces them as dead. So let people who have authority from God pronounce whether or not the situation is dead. Don't you just go out. And, you know. so, so, so this man is not to reach for that because he's supposed to stand and love his wife even if the wife is not loving him back. Nobody made you get married to her. Unless it's back in the day where they had them shotgun joints. But anyway, <laughs> no, I'm messing around. And so irreconcilable differences is not biblical grounds for divorce. Okay? We all have differences. But we're Christians reconciled to God. We should be able to work this out. We'll agree to disagree but still be agreeable 
We could reconcile. We could, uh, but Christian man, you're not the one to initiate discussions on divorce. You're not the one to do that. So when you're going through an ideal, you want the ideal. We all want that when we get married. But then we all go through an ordeal. And then some of us say, I'm tired and I want a new deal. <laughs> then God says, no deal. <laughs> when the church's divorce rate is equal to the world's, that's a problem. How can a three-strung cord, Ecclesiastes 4, that's not quickly broken, keeps breaking up? We should know about how to forgive. We should know about mercy. We should know about repentance and holiness and godliness. We can't lower the standard because Christians are tripping. We got to keep the standard right where it is and expect Christians to grow up and rise up to the standard of permanency in marriage. And if you're in a bad marriage, ask God to help you make it into a good marriage. You're going to have to work. That's what it's about. Oh, man, this is hard. But in Luke 14, Jesus encourages us to sit down first and estimate the cost before going to war or building a tower. He says, don't start a project that you can't finish because when you don't finish, it looks bad. Sit down first. But again, we go back to the other point. If your drawers are on fire and all you know is she look good, he look good. I'm getting older. My clock is ticking. I got to go ahead. I'm choosing me a mate rather than waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is tough, but wishing you would have waited is tougher. And even when it's your choice, God says, I'll help you. I give you grace, but you should have waited on me. I didn't have him or her for you. Uh, uh, uh. And the thing about the devil, <laughs> he'll bring his best before God brings his but if we're not growing, we'll be deceived by outward things and superficial things, worldly things. But the Bible says charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. But what do you do when the woman who says she fears the Lord starts acting like she don't even know the Lord? You got, might have to pick up the book of Hosea and... He had to love his wife even when she was out there on the red light district. And y'all, it's real. It happens. God puts this stuff in the Bible. He'll give you strength. Psalm 15, 4 says that an upright man keeps his oath even when it hurts and he doesn't change his mind. I want to be childlike. I want to grow up. Well, keep your word. Ecclesiastes 5 says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. So when you're up here making vows, I swear before God and these witnesses, God is like, I'm going to keep my word. Will you keep yours? I ain't playing. I hope you're not playing. So the Bible says, because God is involved, it's a sacred covenant. Because God is here. I need to count the cost and be like, am I ready? For sickness and health? Am I really ready for better or for worse? Am I really ready for riches and poverty? Am I ready for this to keep my word? Because if you're not, don't do it. But you know, I, I said I was going to get married by the time I turned 25. And I said I, I wanted to. That's childish. Here's another thing. When y'all are having disagreements because everybody has them. 
We just have them at different volume levels. We all have disagreements in our marriage. You got two safe sinners occupying the same space. There's going to be some breakdowns, going to be some struggles, but God's going to use that relationship as a mirror to show you yourself and how much you need the grace of God. Yeah, 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 that's part of marriage. But let me give you a few words. Stop walking out of the house when you have an argument. That's childish. I did that one time. <laughs> we had an argument over something. And in the early days, we either fought over sex or over food. What money? <laughs> I got mad. I walked out. And the Lord was like, what are you doing out here? You better go back in the house. But see, I never saw my father do that. But watch this. Television gave me a vision. James Evans walked out on Florida a couple of times when he got mad. That programmed me. When you have a problem, you get out of the house. Some of y'all go to the bar. God was like, I didn't teach you that. That's not what men do. Man, go back in that house. Oh, man. Stop dogging your spouse to other people when you're going through problems. That's childish. Especially your parents. Mama, let me tell you what he did. Daddy, let me tell you what she did. And if your parents are mature, they'll tell you, go back in there and work this out with that person you married. Remember, you left and cleft. <laughs> Leave father and mother. Stop coming to me. I ain't going to be your safety net all the time. Work this out in there. Stop doing that. That's child. That's what kids do. And usually we pointing fingers and never thumbs. We're telling the story so that we look good, so that they look bad. That's childish. Grow up people here's another thing stop slamming doors that's childish stop punching holes in the wall that's child because when you calm down you got to patch all that stuff up we coming over your house you know for huddle groups and we seeing like somebody been shooting in the house and what's going on up in here now <laughs> come on we can control ourselves better than that here's another thing Stop cussing each other out. That's childish. That's what kids do. Not adults. You have a vocabulary. And stop doing what your father did. Or stop acting out of your wound. Get some help. Go see somebody about your anger. Go see somebody about your bitterness. Go see somebody about what happened when you were growing up. Go see somebody. Go to the wonderful counselor and go to earthly counselors. Fifth, childish Christians feel they don't need other Christians. But childlike Christians know that they need other believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. I'll move along. Paul said, uh, let's see if I can find it. But now indeed there are many members yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Childish Christians say, I don't need other Christians. Childish Christians believe they can do the Christian life without coming to the Christian church. I love Jesus, but I don't like church. And you think we're going to amen that statement. 
We're not going to amen that statement because that statement speaks of insanity. I love Jesus, but I don't love what he loves. What does Jesus love? His church, his bride, which you happen to be a part of. So when you say you don't love the church, you're saying you don't love yourself. Because I'm the bride. <laughs> I don't like the people. Well, you're going to have trouble in heaven because heaven going to be full of people. A lot of them that did you wrong. Okay, church hurt is real, but it's not a justifiable excuse to be a cyber saint. I ain't coming to church. I just watch it at home. Mm -hmm. As soon as you go through some stuff, you call in the local church and trying to get at the front of the line to have your issue dealt with, but we ain't seen you in months. <laughs> Drop everything and come and help me. Well, where have you been? I thought you didn't need nobody. God created you to need other Christians and for other Christians to need you. Yes. There was a dance back in the day called the bunny hop. But you know, Christians always like to remix stuff in the world. <laughs> we do the church hop. Because I don't like what they did to me up in there. So I'm going to hop out the door, the back door. I came in through the front door. I'm not going, and I met with elders and leaders and got the right hand of fellowship. But when they start doing what I don't like, when they start teaching what I don't like, when we go through a hard patch as a church, I'm going to do the church hop out the back door, not say anything to anybody, and I'm going to carry this mess over to the next church, and they're going to be my church until they get on my nerves. Then I'm going to hop out of that church to the next church, and I'm going to hang with them until somebody takes my parking spot or sits in my seat. Then I'm going to hop out of that church to the next church. If you've been in Nashville for five years and been a member of seven churches, you are a serial church hopper. I know there's a time to leave a church. I know there's a time. There's a way to leave. There's a time to leave. But don't let that be your testimony. You need other beliefs. Because some folks hop out of church and they don't go nowhere. And then the devil's like, I really got them now. Because I've separated them from community. Sheep without a shepherd and without the comfort of the other sheep. They're bait for the wolf that's lying out there ready to eat them up. We got to be in community. We need each other. Oh, boy. Number six, childish Christians are preoccupied with the gift of tongues. But childlike Christians know that speaking in tongues is a gift for some saints and not all. First Corinthians, y'all, chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. Paul says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all because y'all keep messing it up. Verse 19, yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. Understanding what? How gifts work in the church because you're acting childish. However, in malice, be babes. In other words, be innocent. Uh, 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 be a babe about evil stuff, you know, but in understanding, be mature. So he's telling them, y'all got to grow up. And if you're preoccupied with speaking in tongues and miracles and healing, you are acting like a baby in Christ. 
But when you're mature, you recognize that this person has this gift, this person has that gift. Not everybody has all the gifts. Not everybody has the same gift. But thank be to God, I have a gift. You have a gift. We can use our gifts to glorify God and edify one another. That's when you're growing up. But when you're childish, you want to make everybody speak in tongues when you're childish. And when you're childish, you want to say, ain't nobody supposed to speak in tongues. That's childish too. Oh, I wish I had time to unpack it, but read it for yourself. Paul is saying, I'm not forbidding tongues, but if you're going to do it in the church, it has to be done in order. And if it's not done in order, don't do it. And then he says, but in church, I would prefer prophecy, speaking a word clearly that people understand without the need of an interpreter. But he's not getting rid of tongues. He's just saying there's a way that they're to operate. But when you're childish, that's all you want to talk about. How can you speak in tongues on Sunday and cuss folk out on Monday? Childish. How can you speak with great Elizabethan English and you can pray from the King James and still act a fool? Childish. We all got space to grow up. Finally. Childish Christians know very little about God's love. But childlike Christians know that love is the more excellent way. That's what he says in chapter 13. He talks about, man, if, if I speak with tongues of men or even of angels, some sort of angelic language that I speak to God, but I don't have love, I'm just making a bunch of noise like a clanging cymbal. So God is not impressed with your gift the way you are. He's like, the evidence that you know me is not in the tongues that come out of the, your mouth, but the love that comes out of your heart. Love is the evidence of a disciple of Jesus. Speaking in tongues is not. Miracles is not. Because Satan can counterfeit gifts, but he cannot counterfeit love. Not God's love. This kind of love, we need the Holy Ghost because it says love suffers long. He's out the gate. Love is patient. It suffers long. So when I want to give up on God, give up on the church, give up on my mate, give up on my children, give up on my job, whatever, God is saying love hangs in there. Oh, man, that, this is what people who are growing need to hear. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. And he goes on and on. He says love bears all things, believes all things. Love never fails. But about them tongues, though, <laughs> they're going to cease. The prophecy's going to fail. But love. So when you're growing in Christ, you're growing in love. That's what Paul's main point is. So if we're arguing about gifts, we've missed the main point about love. I used to argue all the time about spiritual gifts. And I'm glad this ain't the church where that happens. We're a non-denominational church. Many different experiences and God had to show me, not from somebody uh, uh, pointing out scripture to me first. I learned to open up my view on the gifts of the spirit by hanging with Christians who were filled with love, who had different experiences than I did. Because here's the thing, being a Pharisee, a recovering Pharisee, you can't change a Pharisee through a theological argument. <laughs> no, no, no. You can only help a Pharisee when you love the Pharisee and love even shows up in truth. Oh, man, but you can't argue a Pharisee out of their position. They got too much pride. <laughs> but love can break some walls down. And God says, you think you know everything about the kingdom, don't you? You think you know more about 1 Corinthians than Paul, the one who wrote it. You think you got it, don't you? Well, I'm going to bring some Christians in your life who do have the gift of tongues. 
what you going to do now, Mr. Baptist Seminary graduate? Love broke me down and opened up my theology. I don't argue about the gifts. That's a waste of time. I enjoy the gifts. But if you roll up in here trying to have a tongue, I got to let you know. There better be some interpretation. Don't disrupt this service with some moans and stuff. That's childish. You better ask, is there anyone here to interpret what I have to say? Someone stands up, then we'll let you proceed. And if what they interpret doesn't line up with this, the book here, the word of prophecy, we're we going to confront you. So this ain't nothing to play with now, okay? So, so this ain't to make you look all good. Again, that's childish. Look at me. I'm spiritual. I'm deep. Well, if you deep, keep your mouth shut. Come tap me on my shoulder. I have a word in tongues. Me and my elders, we're going to listen. Because mm -hmm. y'all, some folk out here, they got other spirits operating in them. I remember one time somebody got up and gave a tongue. Another person interpreted. Another person got up and said, that's not what he said. That's what he meant. And he spread a lie and all this stuff. So we ain't going to have that kind of nonsense up in here. <laughs> Finally, y'all, before going out of business, Toys R Us had a jingle. Toys R Us said, uh, I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. They got so many toys at Toys R Us that I can play with. From bikes to trains. It's the biggest toy store there is. Gee whiz. I don't want to grow up. Because maybe if I did. <laughs> I wouldn't be a Toys R Us kid. Some kids are saying, I don't want to grow up. I want to remain a kid so I can play. But for Christians, we've got to grow up. <laughs> As kingdom kids, we've got to grow up. But while we're growing up, we still must remain childlike. Where I trust and obey. Where I love my father and I let him love on me, even in public. Where I love my neighbor. Where I'm still childlike even as I'm growing in my faith. So as we receive the benediction, let me tell you, never stop being childlike, but ask the Lord to help you to stop being childish. Let's stand for prayer. Amen. Did you get anything out of that today? All right, now, for all you theologians and you deep people who may want to dissect every word that I said, you want to meet me, you want to email me, okay, we'll talk about it. But I don't argue the Bible. We could talk about the Bible, and don't think that your view is the only view or the best view, and that out of all the Christians over 2,000 years, you know everything there is to know about marriage, divorce, and spiritual gifts. Be humble, and above all, be loving. Let us pray. Lord, somebody here today definitely needs help. Lord, as a pastor, Pastor Jerry and I and the elders, we know some of the issues, some of the pain, some of the challenges that some of the sheep under our care are dealing with. And Lord, um, it's heavy, but nothing is too hard for you. Uh, Lord, we sang this morning and we know that you are a delivering God. You are a way making God. You can turn things around. So I pray for that single person who's just hurting. 
Lord, they're thinking that their purpose and value is found in getting married to someone else. But Lord, you're trying to teach them that their purpose and value is being married to you. That they don't need a man or a woman to be complete. They're complete because of Jesus. Help them, Lord, to hold out. Help them, Lord, to be pure and godly. Help them, God. And I pray for married people who are struggling and hurting. Oh, God, thank you that everything we need, you've given us for life and godliness. We can do it with your help. You never said it would be easy, but with you it is possible. Thank you that we need community. We need each other to bear each other's burdens. For somebody to help me with mine and for me to help them with theirs. May we not break away when we're going through something that's breaking us down. Help us to press into you and even into your church. We need each other. And help us, Lord, with the gifts we have to glorify you with them and edify one another. Help us not to argue over gifts. Help us, Lord, to be loving people that we love and we love deeply, even when it hurts. Help us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that one of your fruits is love. Do it through us, God, as you're ministering to us. Thank you, Lord. May this church be a healthy church. And as we come on 23 years next Sunday, Lord, thank you that you've brought us this far. And we look back and we see how faithful you've been. Even when this church has gone through challenging moments, you never let us go. You never left us. You kept us. You grew us. And, Lord, we're excited about what you have in front of us. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us this vision to experience, explain, and expand your diverse kingdom in this city and even around the world. Thank you for the charge to make disciples. Would you bless huddle groups? Would you bless Awana? Would you bless student ministry? Would you bless our seminars? Would you bless our ATI Sunday classes? Because, God, we're in your will. You told us to make disciples. And I pray that your people will find their place and participate. Thank you, God. Bless this church to be a blessing. May we make a difference because now church begins when we leave this building. Now unto him who's able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his throne with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forevermore. And all of God's people say, amen, amen. Anybody got a praise for Jesus? Anybody got a praise? Hallelujah. Have a good day. We'll see you next Sunday, Lord willing.